Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com. And remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Cocaine Cowboys, The Deadly Rise of Ireland's Drug Lords, the live show is on sale now. We're on the road on February 10th at the Lime Tree Theatre in Limerick, February 15th in Cork's Everyman Theatre, and on Sunday 18th, we're back at Dublin's Three Olympia. April takes us to Galway's Town Hall Theatre, Killarney's INEC, and Belfast's Waterfront Studios. Check mcd.ie or venue for ticket sales. It doesn't seem to be like that in Dublin's underworld, does it? That that people of relatively uh, small-scale criminals, dangerous people, no doubt, but not multi-millionaire gangs, uh, have access to very powerful weaponry. And that seems to be the case in Dublin, and you can see the danger of that. Tristan Sherry obviously had a desire to kill when he went into this restaurant. He had a plan to kill, and he was capable of carrying it out. I'm Nicola Tallent. And you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. A Christmas Eve nightmare in a popular Dublin restaurant. Two men dead and fears that reprisals will follow. So why did gunman Tristan Sherry decide to walk into a crowded steakhouse and shoot at victim Jason Hennessy Sr. with a semi-automatic weapon? What horrors did Diner see as he was then overcome and killed in cold blood? Who is Hennessy Senior, a veteran gangster or a latecomer to the gangland scene? Today, I'm talking to Niall Donald about a shocking night of violence and what is expected to follow as tensions reach boiling point in the Garda district known as the K. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. couple of weeks now, I haven't heard that. Okay, we're recording. So here we are back. Yeah. Um, so again, you took a holiday at an inappropriate time. <laughs> well, it kicked off, didn't it? It was. It was, it was, it was crazy. Like, yeah. you know. Um, but nothing happened, like, with regards to the arrest of Daniel Kinnan or anything I know. No, no. Would you have... Don't wait for your Easter holidays or your, 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 your summer break. Would you have hauled me in on uh, Zoom from India for that? I would have, would have I would have yeah. put yeah. down my yeah. foot as I was your, keeping a kind of an eye as I was going as I, every time as I, <laughs> as I kind of went into a bit of Wi-Fi I was trying to keep an eye on this and of course this uh, Christmas Eve story I was still 
home and that broke. I mean, shocking. Um, which is what we're going to talk about. And I'm actually going to let you do most of the talking because I'm only back. I have been trying to follow it a little bit, but um, maybe like some other people who have been off for Christmas, they didn't pay exact heed to what's gone on. So Christmas Eve in a Blanchardstown steakhouse, the unthinkable happened. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The unthinkable is is right. I mean, it's you obviously covered the Regency trial and you can remember... Um, all those witnesses, and we all sat through them for loads of days speaking about the terror of of a gunman opening fire in a public event where, you know, people were absolutely not expecting that and had absolutely no experience of that. And something the very equivalent happened in a Blanchardstown restaurant. Obviously, most people will know about it at this stage. Um, a gunman came in and opened fire in a public place uh, as people were having a final meal before Christmas Day, all sorts of ages, all sorts of people in there. Mm. Um, and uh, ultimately that that gunman was overpowered and ultimately was killed. But we do know that gunman's name, obviously now it's a guy called Tristan Sherry. So in in during, during that shooting, uh, Tristan Sherry was... While he might not be on one of the elite gangland criminals of this city, he was a dangerous person who'd been involved in drugs and organized crime for for a good number of years and had been involved in a series of violent feuds in Dublin's north side. He came in, opened fire. Um, one man was hit three times um, and that man passed away this week. His name was Jason Hennessy Sr. Um, he had been shot in the neck. Initially, uh, people thought he was going to die. We were hearing on the night he's, he's died and then he seemed to really recover in mm. hospital. But ultimately, he passed away this week. Mm. Um, you often wonder when you hear about people being shot up around the head or the neck area yeah. that I often wonder how in the name of God are they ever going to survive like that? And of course, some do, but... Yeah, um, yeah you know, people have had amazing recoveries being shot in the head, but that wasn't the case in this. And as regards to actual shooting, so people were sitting down having their meals and I did see some of the footage and there was in particular a young girl grabbing her baby and yeah. fleeing in terror. I mean, um, Christmas Eve, not that any night it would be okay for that to happen, but they, the gunman must have been quite, Tristan Cherry must have been quite accomplished in that, in that sort of an environment. He hit his target. Well, he, he, you know, we don't, maybe he was accomplished, but he was certainly accustomed to violence. I think you could say. There must have been some sense of a, a, a calm almost to him that he was able to go into a situation like that and fire and Ultimately, well, I kill his target, even though, you know, he has not lived to see that. But, um, you know, for a young guy like that to go into a restaurant, a crowded place um, on a busy night like that and to raise a gun and to fire it yeah. at somebody sitting at a table, it, it's just. Well, as as uh, actually Ken Foy said to me, it's not everybody who will just kill somebody. No. Like even in, in the. the the underworld of criminality. So Tristan Sherry obviously had a desire to kill when he went into this restaurant. He had a plan to kill and he was capable of carrying it out. The accomplished bit though, I think there is another perspective that this person was a person who was not capable of planning, mm. not capable of, of uh, having an exit strategy. 
Um, what he had was a desire to commit the most grievous type of violence. Mm. Um, he obviously did not have the uh, the cap- other capabilities maybe of, of he certainly uh, didn't extract himself well. Um, what you think you see with Tristan Sherry, um, we have done a bit on his background in the aftermath of the shooting. Um, in the last year, he over the last couple of years, he played a role in in the Cordoff feud. Of that, there's no doubt. The Cordoff feud was a kind of a, a complicated feud in or around uh, Cordoff area, Blanchardstown, mm. with rival factions fighting off each other. Interplayed, intermingled at this were were the Mister Flashy Gang, who was a so, who were associated with one of these sides. But over the last year, um, the the fallout from that feud, I continued to follow Tristan Sherry, and he had been stabbed himself maybe twelve times uh, at the start of twenty twenty three, had been hospitalised as a result, and he his family had been targeted in, by rivals in a number of incidents. He had a car driven into a, a home of a relative at one stage. So it had been ongoing for him. So he was a target himself. He was a target himself. Um, he was a target himself and he had targeted others. And that was all uh, maybe under the radar. Where was Tristan Sherry's positioning within the grouping he would have been operating within? Was he a leader or well, was he somebody who was being directed by others? Well, he wouldn't be described as a, particularly as a leader, I don't think. But he was a, a, a close associate of the flashy gang. Mm. Um, there's obviously people within that organization, that flashy organization that are probably making good money and are probably uh, very much, I mean, they're all involved in drug dealing, but there's some people maybe that are smarter and are more uh, considered, but there's soldiers around them, isn't there? Yeah. And Tristan Sherry, I think, would have been considered uh, probably a soldier rather than a, a leader. Listen, but, most leaders don't actually take up the gun and do something no. like that themselves. I mean, there's sort of, you know, it reminded me somewhat of the murder of Eamon the Don Dunn, who was killed, of course, in the Fossa House pub in yeah. 2010. And he was sitting, um, having a drink. I think his daughter was with him and other people were in the pub. And that assassination was carried out um, at this sanction at the time of the, the Kinahan organisation. I think Dunn was seen as having um, got a little bit out of control, a bit chaotic, um, but a very prolific gunman yeah. went in had an exit strategy and was able to fire without injuring other people in the vicinity. Yeah, and that that good man that we talk about that we can't name, he was uh, directed and probably had no skin in the game as such. Um, Tristan Sherry, I think, would have had a bit of skin in the game on a mm. personal level. I think it would have been slightly different in that. He was, was it a, was it a, do you believe it was a kind of a, sort of a knee-jerk, he was... No, I don't think it was knee-jerk. I think it was he... It was opportunistic, he knew that... Well, I mean, it was, it wasn't, it must have been opportunistic to an extent. It must have got the information. However, he wasn't acting on his own. There was, somebody drove him. There's uh, a getaway car, mm. an Audi that, that the guards are still searching for. There was another man who entered the restaurant uh, with him who hasn't been arrested at this point. Um, so there was an organisation behind him. However, this is a much smaller scale. The mm. cartel uh, decided to get rid of Eamon the Don Dunn because he was bad for business. 
there was in of the number of people involved in that murder, and we probably know four or five names at the very least. I don't think any of them would have had any particular personal gripe with Eamon the Don Dunn um, necessarily. Um, but when you talk about that, having skin in the game, it, it makes them, and we're talking about somebody's murder here, yeah. so without being crass about it, but it makes them almost more professional. Um, what you can see when there is a rivalry going on is sometimes, and in the case of Brian Rattigan, when he was at his brother Joey Rattigan's 18th birthday, all those years back, the um, the killing that would spark the Crumlin Drimna feud, which resulted in 18 murders. But, um, you know, it was always said he was full of cocaine and he heard that his rival uh, was, had walked into an abracababra. Yeah. And within seconds, he mobilised himself to go down to yeah. the um, the takeaway shop without a gun, but with a knife. Yeah. And uh, it was a kind of a, you know, an opportunistic thing. Yeah. Well, he had the rivalry there and probably always in his head that, you know, he wanted to kill his rival. Uh, this was not a pre-planned, totally organised no, murder, which thing. later, he was I later, mean, I think, convicted of manslaughter. But Exactly. And if you look at the, the, um, the, the Don's murder, which is, it was in a way the opposite in that they yeah. had spotters, exit strategies, um, they had... I think it was four people came in. They had two people hold the doors open to make sure people got out. Um, they had a, a lot a lot of clear-headed planning. Mm. So Tristan Cherry had a desire to murder. Yeah, but I mean, you'd wonder what motivated him to walk into that restaurant to do it. He, if he had obviously the information that Jason Hennessy Sr. was in there eating a meal. Um, I always say it's sort of a little bit like how we do our job if we're trying to photograph someone. We're yeah. obviously not trying to shoot them, but if you know somebody is inside, you know, they have to come out. Yeah. And, um, you know, what motivated him to actually, instead of waiting outside and maybe... Um, you know, shooting or attempting to shoot Jason Hennessy then, what motivated him to go inside the restaurant and do it like in such a public fashion? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, look, it's, it's either way, it's an absolutely horrific mm. event for the people that witnessed it. Jason Hennessy Sr., who passed away this week, he was 48 years yeah. old. He was uh, facing charges in relation to money laundering, not for a huge amount of money, but he was due in court uh, probably sometime next year. Um, he was arrested as part of uh, an investigation into organised crime. Um, targeted on his group, on the grouping that he would have been involved with. Well, targeting on, exactly, targeting on an organised crime network he was suspected of being involved in. He didn't have a huge amount of convictions uh, or history even in organised crime. He seemed to have become involved in it in Rather, it's described as being in later in life, sucked into this lifestyle. Um, however, he was associated with a very serious criminal organization who are genuinely uh, one of the prime targets for Gardaí on the north side of the city. And this organization are very volatile, very violent. They're very, um, you know, they, they suck up a lot of guard resources. Are they organized enough? What sort of money were they believed to be turning over in their drug dealing? They, and are they laundering it in a sophisticated manner? Well, whether they're sophisticated or not, they are uh, very much uh, become uh, serious operators in West Dublin. Um, they are regarded as their own organized crime group. They are uh, named as such by the Gardaí. Um, they are, have a reputation for violence. Mm. Um, they're heavily involved in intimidation tactics around drug deaths. 
Um, they are very much involved in drug dealing as well. So they are part of the the the, the vacuum that has that has arisen as a result of probably the the, the Kinahan cartels uh, diminishment. Um, and they are uh, they have been involved in a lot of violence, and they so are. have been following that modus operandi that was initially brought into play in the Blanchardton area by the Westies. Yeah, they back are. at the turn of the century. Yeah, I mean it's this uh, very using very extreme violence to to uh, collect drug debts is a big part of it. Small and large. I mean, they're literally nobody's getting away with a hundred quid, or they are literally going to be hospitalised. Exactly. You're not talking maybe millions. You're talking tens of thousands. Um, Jason Hennessy Senior would have been uh, grown up with some of the Westies. Actually, he would have been grown up in the same estate as uh, as. Stephen Sugg. Stephen Sugg, and who was obviously the the leader of the Westies, one of the two leaders of the Westies, and uh, his brother as well, uh, Bernard Sugg. So he would have been associated with those guys. Jason Hennessy Sr. would have been, a, I think, a talented boxer. He was a coach as well. He, he'd been involved in training young people in boxing. Um, but he wouldn't have been back at that stage, back in the Westies, which was what, the late 90s really, wasn't it? Did yeah, it was because, you know, Blanchardstown kind of only emerged around the 90s. You know, it was a new suburb of Dublin and a lot of people from the Ballymun area, et cetera, moved out to it. And it very quickly became enormous. I think the population... I could be wrong, is in around 100,000. Yeah. Um, just sprang up without the usual infrastructure in place. Um, but the Westies sort of started uh, dealing in that turf, which was huge yeah. and absolutely huge. And they started carving up ownership of all these estates while also still dealing out in the Ballymun area. Um, they were really young and they, by the age of like 18, um, Sug and uh, Coates, Shane Coates and Stephen Sugg, who were friends, even though there was a six-year age gap between them, they had just become so notorious. It was unbelievable. I mean, there were stories about people being held by their ankles from Ballymont Towers because they owed a small drug debt. You're talking actual addicts yeah. who, um, you know, struggled to, to pay their 100 quid or whatever. Um, they attached pliers to people's nipples, they literally beat the living daylights out of people and they created this terror. Um, their own gang imploded as often does when you have that level of violence and they went to war with um, the, Grend- the the Glennon brothers, Mark and Andrew. Yep. Um, both Sug and Coates actually fled for Spain in around 2003 and they then decided that they were going to set up their operation out there on the Costa Blanca. Um, where John Gilligan would have had a network of of contacts. And I think they just basically had lost all sense of reality by the time they got out there. They tried to uh, buy um, an amount of drugs and not pay for it. And they ended up literally six foot under in a a concrete grave in a a warehouse in Catral where they were found some years later. That was the end of them. But they definitely left their mark, I think, in that area, in the Blanchardstown area. And I think younger people coming up sort of behind them, that almost became what to do. Now, look, there's very few gangs who don't rule with yep. that kind of violence. But um, it seems to be an area that was, I think they crossed a line in the sand, maybe with their drug collection policy and with their sort of turf ownership policies. And everybody who's come after them seems to have that same modus operandi. Yeah, and and obviously the the, the court of feud, court of next to Blanchardstown, um, 
there was a lot of uh, violence there, um, a lot of arson attacks, a lot of assaults, a lot of assaults using weapons, and it went on for a long time. And in 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 the middle of that was the the Mister Flashy organization mm. as well. Um, Mister Flashy, obviously a, a drug boss in the Fingless area, yeah. yeah. And but you know, there's obviously that interconnection, and these none of these gangs, as as we probably named them, they're they're interconnected and they're much more fluid, maybe than than those demarcations suggest. Yeah. You know, so I mean, obviously there was a the Tristan Cherry, um used a semi-automatic pistol. It's not being recovered, um, but it is an extremely high-velocity weapon, uh, effectively like a machine gun. Mm. And so this is the level of arming that these people have. And if you look at um, Tristan Sherry and even the network around them, these aren't one of the, if you want, the elite drug gangs of the country. These are relatively small, but they still have that level of weaponry. Um, and, it, you know, that's the, the dangerous bit. There's obviously, um, there's obviously funerals now to go ahead. Yeah. Um, there's fears of reprisals. Um, if you look on social media, uh, on certain social networks, you'll see a lot of taunting, um, a lot of people being named. There's things gone up for rewards for info, not to get into the very specifics of it, because it is a complex situation in that there are people have been, uh, you know, there's obviously there, there's court proceedings as well. But there's a lot of there's a lot of genuine fears that there would be reprisals. Mm. Um, and if you look on, on on social media, which can drive a lot of these feuds and these violence, it's already up there. There's already people being taunted. There's already slurs on people's names, and uh, I mean this funeral will be very heavily policed. Hennessy, you were saying, Jason Hennessy, senior, forty-eight, came into crime later in life. He was a, a boxer, yeah, and um, he's somebody who probably doesn't come on the guard radar until his late thirties, nearly. Yeah, something, something along those lines. Um, it's probably he's a nobody as regards you know, you know, people sitting around a, the station in Blanchardstown and talking about who to sort of keep an eye on and target. They don't know who he is until well, they don't. They, I mean, they may well know him as uh, in terms of being in the community and and maybe not being a full full on angel, but mm. he was a working man. He mm. wasn't uh, somebody that was uh, living off the proceeds of crime. Uh, he was a man who had a job, who went to work every day, and he was um, a father. He was a father, um, and so that's what his reputation was primarily um, probably as a tough guy but, guy, but somebody a, who was, a working man yeah. as, as, as it would be described somebody who went to work every day and didn't get the didn't you know live off drug dealing however this network he seems to have uh, fed into it and played uh, you know a seniorish role in it anyway um, and was that due to his uh you know his boxing background and his ability maybe to to fight or to to well, be well i think scary possibly so but i yeah. think mostly what happened was that there was a network around him that started making uh, serious money and that you know that becomes attractive to people doesn't it yeah, it, it really does. does when they you know when it's a matter of earning uh, you know a year's wages in a couple of weeks it becomes attractive to people and if there's it can be a drug nearly can't it it can be a drug and mm. Obviously, the, the the scale of the network uh, around them, the the, the the drugs gang really did seem to increase in recent years. Uh, its reputation 
grew in terms of the fear it was generating. And obviously there was probably um, some of the older networks that has existed there for in terms of drug territory. Uh, they seem to have been able to replace some of them. So the grouping around Hennessy would be sort of feuding with the, the sort of the flashy gang and their there associates some, in yeah, the Blanchestown area. And what sort of fears are there around the strength of the flashy gang? They have been at feud for so long. Um, well, you they're, know, they're under pressure from the Gardaí for a long time. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's, they're under threat themselves. I mean, surely they've been weakened. They have been absolutely weakened and they 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 are weakened to the point that they can't uh, float around the streets of, of England, a lot of them. Um, so, I mean, look, the flashy gang, as as we would call it, like, does it even fully exist uh, in, in one sense? There's certainly a hardcore group around them, but it's a small network. Mm. But as you saw with the the the, the murder of Brandon Ledwich, you know, there's 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 other groupings that could that that may have those associations, but they're growing in mm. in strength all the time. Um, and look, the the gang uh, Jason Hennessy Senior was associated with will be one of those groups that have now really emerged in that in that aftermath. Um, we wrote a story not so long ago about them actually. Um, where we were describing how they'd even uh, fallen into a, a dispute with the the family in one of probably Ireland's most yeah. developed criminal networks, so they were at a point of in a, being involved in a degree of feuding with them. So that shows probably that they're their own network and they're not not reliant on or mm. interacting with all these different gangs. And as you know yourself, I mean, we can it, it can sound very simple to can in supply them and they supply mm. them, but it doesn't really work like that. Once these organizations get big enough, they pick and choose who they get supplied by. They get supplied by different sides all yeah. the time. And uh, this probably this network around that Hennessy Senior was involved in would have been one of them. And the biggest problem, of course, at the heart of all of this um, is the availability of those weapons yeah, and the amount of weapons that must be out there yeah, that these guys can put their hands on a semi-automatic yeah. On a Christmas Eve, yeah, you know, in a, a sort of what what appears to have been a sort of an unplanned, opportunistic uh, chance to murder a rival, yeah, that they can just pick up a gun like that and go out into a public place, like, um, you know, obviously, sometimes you you hear these sort of stories that can be small that there's been a raid and there's been a gun yeah. found. Each gun taken off the street is some, you know, is a lifesaver, literally. Absolutely, I mean. I was actually talking to somebody in the north and they were speaking to me about the new IRA in Derry. Yeah. And I think they said they've only four or five guns that they can get access to. Now, I'm sure that comes and goes and yeah. all of that. But I mean, that shows you how how deeply embedded that operation to dismantle them in parts of the north have been and how successful. It doesn't seem to be like that in Dublin's underworld, does no. it? That, that people of, you know, relatively uh, small scale criminals, uh, Dangerous people, no doubt, but not multi-millionaire mm. gangs uh, have access to very uh, powerful weaponry. And that seems to be the case in Dublin. And you can see the danger of that. And I mean, for 20 years, guns have been coming in on the top of the drug yeah. shipments. And I mean, that, that, that was all started back in the sort of the turn of the century um, with the Kinahan organization when they started wholesaling from Spain. Yeah. And they were they were offering a service that you could buy your drugs plus your weaponry, Yeah, um, which they were getting through. Eastern Europe, the level, wherever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a busy Christmas then. 
It was a busy Christmas. Sorry for not being around. Did you miss me? <laughs> miss, yeah, it was a lot of tears. Was there? there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it was, look, I mean, it's, 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 again, it's a lot of the, the stories we do, some of them, you know, they're very parochial or just their interest to people in Dublin yeah. or Ireland or whatever. But that sort of level of violence, I mean, it went all across the world. Yeah. Went all across the world to shooting in. A, in a restaurant on a Christmas Eve in Dublin. Christmas Eve in a yeah. packed restaurant. And I went all the way around the world. Mm. And it just, it's, it, it sparked political reaction from the Taoiseach, who is from Castlenock, which is close to where the shooting occurred. It's, you know, next to yeah. Blanchardstown. And he had eaten in that restaurant, very respectable, lovely restaurant, really kind of central uh, point where a lot of people would have gone for communions, confirmations, mm-hmm. really well known in that local area, you know. But uh, you get this sense that, you know, when something like this happens and, and, you know, such a public thing and you do get a sense that things have gone out of control. But they, mean, yeah. If you were living in Blanchard, if you were in that restaurant mm-hmm. that night with your kids yeah. sitting down having a steak or a burger or whatever, yeah. um, grateful to be out and not to have to cook on a yeah. Christmas Eve. Yeah. And that happened. Yeah. Would you think this city was safe? Would you think this country was safe? I mean, you, you just would be. And, and also the trauma of that event for yeah. all those people who were in the restaurant that night cannot be underestimated. And you have to feel sorry for the restaurant owners Absolutely. Well, will be, you know, who yeah. have that association hanging over them in such a notorious event. I mean, you have to feel really, really sorry for yeah. them. Um, exactly. I mean, you know, Fianna Gael are coming under pressure, aren't they? Mm. For on the issue of crime. Absolutely. And as a party, more so than the other coalition parties, because Fianna Gael have been traditionally seen as the party of law and order. But they're coming under pressure now, and not just on, on gangland crime, other types of crime. And do they have a response? Um, they will feel that they're doing what they can do, no doubt, but it's how the public perceive it. And it is... We're coming into a general election in the not too distant future. And I think it's going to be a real issue for Fianna Gael and for, for Helen McEntee mm. and for the, for, for the overacker. Um, that sense that people get that, as you've spoken about, that people feel that things are getting out of control and that sense that the government aren't doing enough. Now, they'll always say, what can, what can, they, what can you do? And we're not saying that they... Yeah, well, I mean, people always ask, you know, are things getting worse and, you know, you know, when it comes to organised crime and gangland, things have always been pretty bad, haven't yeah, they? You know yeah. what I mean? It's not as if they were just some sort of a, a nirvana and all of a sudden it's got worse. But definitely, I think for me, to answer that, it would be, I think there's more guns on the street. I think there's more and more young people being lured into gangs. I don't think the government is tackling that no. at ground level with the community workers and all the other ways they, they can try. And we're sort of reacting to things constantly. We're not trying to get right in there in those communities and to do something about, you know, the that attraction that there is there. Yeah. And, and then we go back to the same mantra again, that it's all been funded yeah. by people willingly going out and paying for drugs in the street or, you know, on a, actually having them delivered to yeah. the house. Yeah, look, it is. Um, but we don't like this kind of thing, do we? We don't like the idea that Dublin is on the news all over the world because somebody has gone into a restaurant uh, on a Christmas Eve and taken out a semi-automatic pistol. It's not a good look. Oh. And yet, as a nation, yeah. we're the biggest drug users, for certainly for cocaine, practically on the globe. Yeah, so, and look, there is, there is an issue, of course, uh, 
there is an issue in society and there's no simple answers, as we always say, but there's also a kind of, you have to look at the guards and say there is a, a depleted morale going on in there. And that, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, that that's a simple problem either, but there is, there, there is issues with gangland crime and it is a political issue and it's shootings like this make it political, just like the Regency made mm. became a political issue. Um, and it is one that they're going to have to face directly it's no point telling people it is safe and there's these figures and that figure mm. um, they have to have a more maybe uh, coherent response I think and I think we have to have an understanding as a population as well that you can't just end no. an organised crime group in a night No, you need to have a structured and, and a, a proper plan and it can take years it can take years but that does dismantle it. but it, it, with the resources yeah. each one of those gangs can be dismantled 100%. They don't have the, uh, the, the the power to take on the state if the mm. state sets their sights on them. Okay, well, we're back. 2024. Yeah. Lots to talk about. Lots to and, talk about. Um, or even if we don't have lots to talk about. We'll just talk <laughs> anyway, you know? You we'll talk so. anyway, yeah, because I've loads to tell you about my yeah. hollybops and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, right, well, look, we'll be back next week. Thanks very much, Nicola. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Clodamini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.